to the live stream. So thanks, thanks a ton. David and Lena, thanks for joining me thanks. and for the words that you shared. So who would like to engage in conversation? What's a question that we have live here? Let's take advantage of these moments together. Yeah, I'm going to ask him for a, a, I think one's coming. And I'm not taking medical questions. But... Yeah, yeah, no medical questions. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Andrew. Yes, sir, right here. And we'll need a mic on this side, or, or if you'd walk across, if you would, and we'll use this mic, okay? Thank you. This question is for Dave. Um, you talked about the three approaches out of the garden. Um, as a layperson in a church surrounded by many people who have picked the first, one of the first two approaches, how, how do I embody the third approach of following Jesus and help others to see that and come to the light when that can be so offensive? Or it's not just the naivety of, you know, just follow Jesus. Sometimes that's really offensive to folks. The switch that says on is evidently important on this. <laughs> See, why don't I get training on these things? Um, you know, I think um, what I would say is the, the key is to do it yourself. The key probably isn't to proselytize for that third option. And in my experience, what that forces upon you is a lot of internal work. Because the reason to take the third choice and kind of walk with Jesus through the fallen world and not beat down the doors to get back that wonderful experience that was so powerful for you, but just to trust that today is the day with Jesus. The reason to do that is for your own sake um, and, uh, and for your own health. And that's gonna force things in you because if you're around people who are taking one or the other two approaches profoundly, they're going to tell you that what's important is whatever they find important. And you're gonna find that those things are theories. What's important to them is a theory. This is a theory, this, this view, this opinion, this take on something. And increasingly, I think what you're gonna find is what's important is an experience. And, um, and so I think part of your own being true to your experience is learning how to process with Jesus how you're feeling when they're telling you you have to follow a theory and, uh, and making that about you, not about them. And hopefully the day will come when you'll be entirely gracious and glad to be around the people you're around because whatever's important to them is important to them. And if that's important to them for a reason, you don't really know why. Even if you feel like it's one of the first two approaches, they might be making a wise choice to live in that approach. It might be what they need for their family and their life. But you might feel threatened. You might feel mad. They might feel threatened about you. And so that's all internal work is, what are you going to do? They're threatened by you. Well, I have experience of people threatened by me in that sense. What am I going to do about it? And how can I find Jesus in that helpfully? But... Um, I don't know that I, except for when you give me a microphone in 11 minutes, I don't know that I'm such a great proselytizer to others about that third way. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the question. Who else? And would you, I've not asked before, would you mind to state your name just so we sure. all know each other relationally? My name's Leanne. I have a question for Dave also. Do you have, what insights can you offer on understanding the heart of Jesus and like how it's, parables lead us into that third way of responding and yet scripture seems so black and white sometimes like I find myself fighting my judgmental side like wanting to lead people a place or lead myself a place how do you hold convictions and yet give people the freedom to find Jesus for themselves Ooh, I find a three-part answer what one is a book recommendation probably a classic um 
uh, book on what I'm talking about would be something you've all heard of and read, The Practice of the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence. Um, I would probably revisit that if you revisited that in your youth and think to yourself, what does it look like to be that sort of person that Brother Lawrence is describing? And then what's the Jesus you discover there? Because one thing Brother Lawrence says, which has been so true to my experience of Jesus, is that he does this inventory every night about how has he done? And he always feels bad about himself, and Jesus is only gracious. So all Jesus says to him is, you're awesome. Man, come on, you're too hard on yourself. And so Brother Lawrence finds the actual Jesus is not saying, well, you're good, but frankly, you know, if you're gonna be a, a real radical Christian, you're gonna address some things in your life, and it's gonna be this, 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 and this. That's not the Jesus he finds. The Jesus he finds is like, you're awesome. I'm so glad you're with me. And I think the reason he finds that is because he's gone to Jesus, right? He hasn't lived in opinions. Like, as I assess my life from a series of, of, of you know, creeds, here's how I assess me and here's how I assess everybody else. The assessing hasn't happened. He's just going to Jesus. And so that's where I would start is who is the Jesus you're actually meeting? Who's the living Jesus? And what I found is when you get to know that living Jesus, as I know you have, so I'm, uh, you know, just as you continue to revisit that, what you're gonna find is he has a lot to say about the scriptures that surprises you. And so I hear a lot, I'm in conversation a lot with people say the scriptures are clear about X, Y, and Z. You know, I've been a pastor forever. I don't know how many sermons I preach, but it's not, a, not quite a thousand, but it's pushing that. And so I think I've preached just about every part of the Bible. And I think you can preach it from the point of view I've just described, where it's not like, well, the Bible's clear about X. It's like, here's the living Jesus in all the scriptures, even the ones that seem the most black and white. I think you're gonna find there's a life there that's not just about, here's good, here's bad, here's right, here's wrong, here's how to hold the right opinions. It's just how to find the living God. So maybe that'd be where, where I would start. Yes. That's helpful. Um, Another help. Maybe, maybe I'll, 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 can I add something to that, if you don't mind? Um, I work, obviously, in an environment in the ER where almost nobody agrees with the viewpoints that I have that are you know, kind of biblically derived. And um, I grew up in a more of a judgmental side of the church, you know, so I bring a lot of baggage to the table. I think the number one thing that God has done to change me in that is uh, putting someone in your life that really stretches you in areas that you disagree with. And for me, it was a family member that just doesn't agree, and a close family member that doesn't agree with anything that uh, really I see in life. And and you're stuck. You can't just stop talking to them. I mean, they come home for Christmas. And so you, what I've learned is the only thing that has worked in 30 years of trying to minister to a person is to love them and to love them without this agenda of changing them. And I think that's really served me more than anything else. And and so uh, whether it's uh, like right now in my ER, there's, there's, I'm discipling a woman who's married to another woman. And when I say that to people, they're always, and she's probably watching this, to be honest. And, and I love her. And we have great conversations together. And, and, and when I tell people that, they're always like, what, what does that look like? And honestly, I don't even know. But I know that what, when she asks me questions that I don't know the answers to, I just point her back to God's word and the Bible and to Jesus and say, ask him. And I figure, you know what? If he answered my questions in my journey towards him, then I think he can manage her. And, and so I try not to really change her and I, or, or other people I disagree with. I try not to convince them that my, it's not a, it's not, we're not trying to win an argument, but really just um, point her to the one that's changed me. So, yeah, Thank you, Lena. Thank you. Thank you. I heard a helpful statement that said, if someone would learn to follow the Jesus they know, the one they know, he will lead them to all the Jesus there is. So that's another way that we can just begin to be in the world as he was. And your question? And yeah. your name first? Um, my name's Connie, and this is a question for Lena. Um, 
I find that most Americans are so dreadfully ignorant of, um, of life in the Middle East, the reality of life in the Middle East. What questions do you wish Americans would ask? Uh, that's a good question. You know, um, I moved when I was 15, and we grew up in Beirut. Lebanon is a unique country in that it's not, as cl it's not closed. It's open to the gospel. And even though the percentages of Muslims is higher than the Christians there, it's, it's really not like any other Muslim country. But I've had a privilege of traveling to a lot of places that are not exactly like Lebanon and would be considered Arab countries. Um, you know, I think what shocks people when I talk to them and, and when, when they meet Arabs is how alike we all are. And uh, the more I've traveled a lot and done a lot of medical mission trips all over the world, and, and I always come home, people ask me, what, what was the thing that you learned the most? What was, whether it's Africa, South America, or the Middle East, I find that um, people's needs are the same, no matter where they live. And that blows me, it just shocks me. Like you can be in Africa where they have really very few resources, but at the end of the day, they just want to be loved and they want to be known. And uh, when you go to the Middle East, I think that's at the end of the day, the same thing. Uh, asking questions about the culture w without any judgment, like just kind of tell me about your country, is so helpful because they have such pride in their country. The Lebanese have such pride in Lebanon. Uh, same goes for the Jordanians that I've met and the Iraqis that I've met. They love, I have a friend today who wants me to write a blog about the Armenian genocide. The Armenians don't even, they now have a country, but they didn't for years. And, and, and she just wants people to know about her history. So I think even coming to the table with just tell me about your place is so helpful to break the ice. And then once you do that, you find out that, man, these people are a lot like me than I thought. Your name and question? Hi, my name's Megan. This is uh, Lena, about your story. At the end of your story, you said to this man, um, there's always hope in Jesus. And I know the way you taught it and the way you were telling from your story, that wasn't trite and that wasn't meant to be sort of a trite answer. But as you're um, giving answers like that, how, where do you go from there? I mean, I, I, yeah. I came from a background of that was sort of the thing. It's like, oh, it's just Jesus. Just pray. Just have faith. Just trust. And now coming to a completely different place and now trying to come back toward, okay, we actually can bring Jesus into the yeah. conversation. I don't just have to talk about their heart or all the other things that I've learned to talk right. about. But how do you keep that balance where you're not going to that like trite religious place? Yeah, and you're right, and I, I agree with you about that. I appreciate that you appreciated that it wasn't meant to be a trite answer. Um, I think, um, I, I hate Christian cliches, first of all, and I think one thing I was gonna mention in the middle of the story when I thought about my, what I would say for, to you guys is a bit more about my own story, but it seemed ridiculously stupid compared to what this family was dealing with. Like, I'm single, I never married, I was engaged twice, and, and uh, you know, things in my life, I thought I'd have kids. I, I never thought I would just remain, you know, I've never had a sexual experience outside of me, myself, and I. And I mean, things like that, that you're like, I'm sorry. Uh, right, all the single people said, go on. All right, but, but the truth is I live with disappointment. And I think you can not just find Jesus, but joy in Jesus and glory in Jesus and rest in Jesus in the midst of disappointment. And I think that's the power of the Jesus follower. It's not that our problems go away, it's that we have resurrection power that kind of supersedes and over so I don't know what happened to that family people always want to know well, what happened I'm sure given the nature of the tumor that I saw that things did not go well but but a seed was planted and who knows what the future will hold for them and where that word will come back and 
and they'll find that same joy. Thanks, Lena. Dave, I got a question for you, but I don't want to preempt anybody here. And I've got a tweet back for you, Lena, but we'll keep this live in six minutes. You moved us from uh, the title Simply Jesus to saying Growing Jesus. So the question I'm asking you is, what do you wish would grow the most in people who represent Jesus in the world? I'm trying to remember where I said growing Jesus, so I believe it. Um, I guess what I would hope would grow was a living, interactive experience of a Jesus who's alive as opposed to a Jesus who's conceptual. Okay. And so um, I think as someone who's you know, been a Bible teacher forever, in a strange way, the phrase I've become less comfortable with, uh, actually there's a word, not even the phrase, yeah. is the Bible clearly says, that okay. phrase. Uh, the word clearly is a phrase that just isn't going well with me anymore. <laughs> because in the, uh, the interactive Jesus, yeah. I feel like, the Bible is a living word. It's not a dead word. And so in that sense, I feel like the, the growing Jesus is going to be an experience that only grows the Jesus we know through the times that Lena's just talked about, through the disappointments, through the things, you know, I didn't expect happening, happening. Yeah. Um, that's probably the growing Jesus that would most yeah. engage me. Beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. Lena? Tim at Kaiser Drive, looks like another physician, I'm going to guess, but he tweeted in, how do you manage the tension between your hope in Jesus and your scientific knowledge in daily practice? I'm an ER doctor. We don't think too much. There you go. <laughs> I mean, there are pros and cons to my job, and truthfully, one of the pros is that I don't have to deal with, in, in my practice, with the very difficult ethical issues. And, and uh, I know it sounds like a cop-out, but it's, it's really not meant to be. I'm willing, it's easier to have discussion about it than to be in the middle of it and have to come up with answers. But um, I, um, the Bible clearly says... Well played. Well played. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just said it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, have, I do have... Um, I'm one of those, I mean, one of the aspects of being an ER doctor is that I don't care about how, I want to know what, and so I tend to be one of those people, and later on in the next two days, I think you're going to hear from other people who probably have wrestled more with the house. so I don't, like, like, I think about Revelation, for instance, I have a friend who tells me she's reading Revelation and wants to understand what it's about, and I, that's just not my approach, where I think, man, we're all going to die, and we're going to see Jesus someday, like, I'm good with that, and, uh, and, 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 and so I've not had problems believing a six, you know, the six-day creation, oh my gosh, she really believes that, and Carl asked her to come and speak here, you know, it, it, it is what it is, and, and it's not a point that's going to get me stuck, and I'm willing also to either lose an argument or not argue over things that may be uh, over my pay grade and, and just focus on the things that are more important. So there are a lot of times that I just don't know the answers. In med school and in residency, everybody wanted to know, like, how do you believe creation versus evolution, for instance? And I started reading ab about it, and I honestly got bored. It just wasn't I didn't care. And, and now I try to like find the right resources to give people, but then really just get to know them more and, and, and just send them to people who have answers that are better than I can come Absolutely. up with. So I don't know. That's probably a cop-out. Dave, you're no, the best. Dave, you want to say anything? <laughs> no, I wasn't a cop-out. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm just a doctor. Re rephrase the question, Lita. What am I answering? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the tension that comes through, you know, her practice as a doctor, scientific knowledge. With your own statement of the truth that Jesus tells in his worldview, is there tension there for you, or how do you, how do you live with that? You know, there isn't for me. I've been in that conversation a ton even recently. Um, 
so a lot of the, the crew I end up hanging out with and the kind of the churches that I'm working with now are churches that are often in highly educated settings or our university towns and things okay. like that. So it comes up quite a bit. Right. And um, I, I don't find myself fighting the hard edges of the Bible in ways other people do. What I think I have found is the Bible works true for me from the experiential Jesus. And so the, um, the creation story, et cetera, the questions I'm asking is, what was, whoever wrote this down, what were they driving at? Mm -hmm. And whatever they're driving at, I'm in. I think they're right. But I'm not, I'm not assuming I know right away. And I think where we get in trouble with science, we say, I do know right away. Here's the key, it was six days. That's it's clearly in the Bible. And that's where, that's where the word clearly goes bad for me. I think, yeah, but was that really even just their point? You know, forget how I'm interpreting it. What, was that even the most important thing they were saying? Is whatever else comes out, six days, dude. <laughs> I think, well, I think there's more going on, you know? And I think if you do a little reading, there's actually, it's powerful. The creation story is only powerful. And so I think there's quite a bit to be said about areas and where the Bible clearly conflicts with science. I think, why do we have, that's not the fight we need to have. It's not the fight I even think the author was, was driving at. And I think if we see what the author is driving at, the Bible is going to be rich for us. If we have to fight on the superficials, I think we're going to lose and be unhappy. Thanks. Always have those discussions over a great meal, and after a few glasses of wine, nobody cares. So, it's not the meal. Tools of ministry. Wonderful. Wonderful. Any other questions before we uh, move from this session? A minute thirty-one. Come on, come on, you guys can do it. Got time. Right to the end. I'm not leaving the stage. I got one minute twenty-two left. Okay. Well, we want to thank you, David. Thank you. Thanks, Lena, so much.